0: The Boston Podcast Network is proud to present the Academy of Special Needs Planners, the podcast. Now, here's your host, Kevin Urbach. Welcome. This is Kevin Urbach. I'm the National Director of the Academy of Special Needs Planners. And today I have a special guest, Michelle Fuller. She is a special needs planning attorney based in Southeast Michigan. Um, She is a longtime planner for people with special needs. She's a member of the advisory board for the Academy of Special Needs Planners. Um, She's a member of the Elder Law and Disability section of the State Bar of Michigan, a former chair. She has won the Unsung Hero Award for the State Bar of Michigan for her work with people with disabilities. Um, And so today what I thought I would speak with Michelle about is that transition period when a child turns 18. So. Michelle, I have a few questions about that, so maybe you could give me kind of a general overview of what
1: happens when a child turns 18. Sure. Uh, Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. And um, so, in our practice, I've been doing this about 22 years where I've really focused on uh, planning for families with disabilities, whether it's uh, as a child or as we go through adulthood. And that transition when kids turn eighteen is a really tough one, um, and sometimes parents don't know what they don't know. They don't know how to prepare them. Schools and uh, communities try and do a pretty good job on educating, but there's—I find that there's always, um, you know, they just don't know where to go. And so this is where you know this podcast I think is really important because I know that families are are always looking for answers and guides as to how to prepare their families and their and their children particularly. Um, I'm also a mother of four, and one of my children has autism, so, uh, you know, families with special needs don't all look alike. They don't act the same. They all face different challenges, but there are some common elements, and this is one of them, that there's an important transition when all kids turn 18, but particularly when you have a child with disabilities, because they may be, you know, under an IEP or an individual educational plan or a 504 plan if they don't quite need an IEP. So there's an important transition that happens. One, the most important is that they become a legal adult. And so that means that we have to prepare for that and the freedom and independence that that offers them. So that means that they can legally get married. They are now in charge of their own health care, their own legal and financial matters. And that you know, for a neurotypical kid and a parent of a neurotypical kid is scary enough. But then when you have a child that might be vulnerable and may not be able to make decisions on their own, that's really, really kind of terrifying. And so one of the things that we do is we, there are some trigger points where we want to make sure that um, the child is transitioning either to, you know, they need help, is a court necessary to gain control over those legal financial matters and their health care. And that usually takes the form of a guardianship or a conservatorship, depending on what state you're in. The laws are fairly similar, but those, those, uh, those transitions are really important.
0: Well, so what happens? Um, so if I have a child who's severely disabled, maybe with um, Down syndrome or needs a lot of assistance, they might be nonverbal. Uh, they might not be able to care for themselves when they turn 18. I, as the parent, should still be able to make decisions on their behalf. Isn't that correct?
1: No, not not usually. Uh, what happens is that no matter who that person is, the law assumes capacity. The law assumes that that person is able to make legally. They are able to make all the decisions on their own until proven otherwise. And so that means that you know if, if you have a child that is that has those circumstances where they cannot make decisions on their own, then you have to legally take steps to be able to do so. And that means filing a petition, filing for the appropriate supervision and uh, appointment through your local probate court. There are attorneys that can help you do that. And a great way to find them is through the Academy of Special Needs Planners has a website that you can find an attorney near you. And all the attorneys that are members of the Academy are well-versed in this area. And so you can find one that's local to you to help you through that transition. What's the website for the Academy of Special Needs Planners? It is specialneedsanswers.com, and that is the consumer site. It's got a lot of great information and articles, um, all kinds of guides, including how to find a good attorney near you that's got experience in this area.
0: So it sounds like I need um, some assistance if my child turns 18 and I want to be able to continue to make decisions on their behalf. Is that true always? Does every person with a disability require some
1: kind of um, legal proceeding so I can make decisions on their behalf? Well, that's a great point because the answer is absolutely not. Because people with disabilities doesn't necessarily mean you're disabled every, there's, you know, I think like one in six people in the United States has disabilities, and it doesn't mean that, um, they necessarily need some sort of court intervention. So, but for those who do, you want to make sure that you are, you know, you can go through the system without an attorney, but it's usually best to, to, uh, have counsel that knows what they're doing. So the other option though, too, is if they are, if your child is able to make decisions on their own, but, uh, you know, I, I have this for my children who went away to college, so that I have a power of attorney and a healthcare power of attorney for so one for financial matters and one for healthcare matters because again they're legal adults at 18. So if I want to call um, and find out how they're doing, um, for instance, at Michigan State several years ago there was a meningitis outbreak, and when parents were frantically calling for information about their child they were not able to get any information because ma- the majority of them didn't have these documents done before their child left. So they were really frustrated by that. Um, so, But when you have a child with disabilities who's living under your roof, um, it may not be an automatic thing where you think, oh, well, I, I don't need these these types of documents. It's not an automatic. So that's where an attorney can be very, very helpful to you know assess the situation. Will a power of attorney be appropriate, or do you really need to go to court? Now... There's a lot of blended families today. And so it can be even more challenging as to who's going to make decisions when that child is over the age of 18. You know, how much do you involve your child? How vulnerable are they to suggestion? How much management do they need and assistance? And so even if it's not necessarily your child that needs the level of intervention that a court would provide or supervision that a court would provide, Sometimes the family dynamic, in and of itself, will need that kind of supervision and oversight because of the family. Where you just need that that supervision and assistance.
0: Okay. Well, let's take a step back then. Um, so, if I have a child with a disability and they have and they're very high functioning, um, mm-hmm. they're basically able to care for themselves, but they just need some assistance. What would be your advice for a parent of that type of child? Would they would you want to go to court and get some special court guardianship or conservatorship or would you um, opt for the power of attorney or advanced health care directive route
1: I usually offer the least the least court intervention uh, only when it's necessary and so when would it might when might it be necessary it's not you know in your example the person is able to make their own decisions for the most part but the problem can also be that they can make decisions on their own. For, <laughs> And that means that they can go off and go get married. They can apply for credit cards. They can make any and all of those decisions that you or I can make today. And, you know, we all look back at our childhood, you know, when we're 18, 20 and think, yeah, maybe I didn't make the best decisions, but um, sometimes they do need that oversight and they don't have the insight that they need to prevent them from being taken advantage of or subject to predators. And that might not just be in person, it could be online as well. So we have to be a little careful. So sometimes um, that can trigger the need for uh, intervention through a court. And so it's a little more stringent. The other reason might be that they don't listen to you, (laughs) um, depending on the nature of their disability. Um, People with closed head injuries, mental illness, uh, there's different kinds of Levels of capacity and are they a danger? Or is there some prevented, some reason you need to prevent them from acting, and um, making poor decisions? So, but the guidelines for the probate court are basically that if you file, and you are asking for a court to supervise and give you authority over your child legally, you have to prove that it's necessary by clear and convincing evidence, which is the state. Which is the standard in Michigan, and it is uh, fairly standard across the nation, but it may differ in your jurisdiction. So that means that you'll need doctor's letters, and your child may object; they may not want it. Your former spouse may object and want to be the person in charge. So it could be something that's uh, just to prepare you for what's next. One. So, so
0: I just—I'm sorry for interrupting, but right. I, I just. So I'm going back to the case where the child's turning 18 and we talked about high functioning and they may not need to go to court if they could do a power of attorney or advance health care directive, but they could still make their own decisions, right? I mean, if they have the capacity to do so.
1: They can. Um, they can even revoke what has already been drawn up. So if if you have a power of attorney and a health care directive where somebody has been named, they have the authority to revoke that decision as well. So it gives them a lot of freedom. They maintain all of their uh, constitutional rights and abilities to make their own decisions. The difference is that uh, an authority, entity, financial institution, health care provider, they can disclose information to you that normally they would not be able to.
0: But that's a legal definition. I I work with a lot of families and they come in with their children who are in their 20s and they're completely nonverbal and need all kinds of assistance. And yet most of these professionals
1: out there still talk to the parents, don't they? They or, do. They, they do. For a lot of times are, they will take direction from a parent that's there. Like you take your child to a sedation dentist or a specialist or a hospital, many times they will automatically look to the parents. and um, But you don't want to be in a situation where they are very compliant with HIPAA laws, disclosures, and then you're caught caught flat-footed where there's an emergency situation, and you don't have the authority to make decisions for your kid. So I always opt to be prepared. Um, but yes, a lot of times they will look to the parent. Um, but you don't want to be caught in an emergency where you can't make okay. decisions.
0: Okay, so we've talked a little bit about what kind of, who has the authority to make decisions for that child who is now considered an adult in the eyes of the law. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you also mentioned something about an IEP. Can you tell me a little bit what an IEP is and sure. um, how that transition
1: to age 18 might modify what you can and can't do as sure. a parent? An IEP is an individualized education plan that allows a person with disabilities to have a higher degree of uh an education plan that's special for that person to accommodate their disabilities. Um, And it's there's a formal process through the school system, and they have a duty to educate that individual in the most uh, least restrictive environment possible. Um, And it may include speech therapy, occupational therapy, physical therapy. But you have to keep in mind that that Education plan through the school system is not medical services. Those are all services that are geared toward educating your child. So, it, if they're doing occupational therapy or physical therapy, it might be working on how to hold a pencil, how to navigate a mouse. How all education oriented. So, it is a little bit different than medical treatment, and it goes hand in hand. So, sometimes people are confused by that. They may. Um, it's a way to to formally. uh, have a plan, a written plan that the school must follow to help educate your child. And it might mean special classes. It might mean that you have to fight to include them in a typical classroom with their contemporaries. And so every child is different, but it's a way to make the school system kind of have to... They have to abide by this, and it can be very difficult. So it's usually held once a year, where you have a big meeting with a number of school providers. It might be their counselor, the social worker, their teachers, um, along with you, and it's like a big board meeting. Um, and the child also should be present as long as you know it doesn't hopefully make them feel intimidated, but they should be there. Um, also, so, so what happens
0: at age eighteen um, then that makes that
1: different? What happens at age 18 is that your child now is a legal adult, and that means that they can request that you not be present at that meeting. And I, as a parent, I would want to make sure that I'm at that meeting because who knows what happens. You want to make sure that your child's rights aren't um, manipulated, trampled on. You make sure that your child is getting everything that they need. But that child, as a legal adult, can ask that you not be present. And uh, so that's where those documents with the powers of attorney or legal guardianship or conservatorship might be really critical to make sure that uh, make sure that you have every right to be there. And it may not necessarily be your child who kicks you out. It might be a social worker or someone else that really doesn't want you there. And they're not all of a sudden you don't get the information that, oh, there's a meeting because now your child is 18 and your child is the one who's getting, all of the legal notices, and you are no longer receiving those. So it might be really important to interface with the school and make sure that that transition, make sure that they know that they must notify you. Um, And that can be a difficult transition.
0: So if they're turning 18, when most of the time, they'd be done with school by then?
1: It depends on the child. Um, Most school systems, uh, it, it depends. They may graduate with a full degree or a full diploma but they've completed high school and all of the state regulations for completing that diploma. They may just have a certificate of completion. They may go until age 21, where they, uh, if you are in their special education program, most states educate until 21. State of Michigan is the only one in the nation that educates until age 26, which is much longer than than any other state. Um, And there is a transition there's a lot of nonprofits that will actually help with that transition. What happens after school's done, whether it's at age 18, 21, or 26? Um, I find that, that there's a lot of help through my local ARCs. Um, what's what's ARC? ARC is a nonprofit organization. It's A R C. Um, they're all over the nation, and they've been around for many, many years. It's a, a nonprofit for $50. You get a lot of bang for your buck. You get a lot of assistance with transition, coordination of benefits, um, and they are all a little bit different. So if the one it's in your nearest location isn't as strong as the next one, you know, ask other parents where they belong. But the other thing that's key that comes with that $50 membership is that you get a free educational IEP support person. Um, which I have used myself, which has been uh, really, really helpful as you're going through the IEP process. But they're really great about transitioning after school's over. And what's next? Is it a sheltered workshop? Is it a closed environment? Is it, you know, it depends on your child. Um, some ARCs, uh, like the one, Arc of Macomb is the one that I work with closely. They actually have on-site job training at their facility, which is a little unusual. So, You never know what might be available in your immediate area, but that's a great resource, a great place to start.
0: Okay. So you you mentioned a few other things when we first started, and one of those things was um, eligibility for public benefits. And I think you mentioned um, SSI, or Supplemental Security Income. Can you tell me why the age of 18 is so important for Mm -hmm. SSI and what SSI is?
1: Sure. SSI is Supplemental Security Income, as you indicated, and once you become a legal adult, you are no longer, as a parent, obligated to financially support your child. Um, And so, what happens is that a child with disabilities who may not qualify for any kind of assistance while they're a minor, why is that? Because you have to declare as a parent they look to the household and parental income and assets. So no matter how disabled your child might be, they know, they don't qualify for benefits because of your financial status. So once they turn 18, they're their own an adult. And so that's when they have to look at medical. There's, there's two pieces of eligibility that a parent has to show or that the child has to show, which is, one, medically. They have to show that they are not able to perform what's called substantial gainful activity, meaning they, they cannot earn, they cannot work enough to support themselves and earn a living. And that threshold is extremely low, by the way. Um, the other piece is that they cannot have resources or assets uh, in excess of $2,000. That that doesn't mean a checking and a savings account with $2,000 in it each. That means a total combined countable resources of $2,000. The other pieces, so those are the two pieces, the medical uh, and the financial qualifications. So, But a lot of my families don't realize that once their child turns 18, they should be applying for that benefit. They don't realize that, oh, their child is actually a legal adult, and they look at their own benefits and income that their child has. So if your child is 21 and they're still in school, you should, have, you should be applying when they're age 18.
0: Well, what, what, how much money do they get if
1: they qualify for SSI? Sure. What, What is the benefit? What do you get yeah. when you apply, right? Uh, so the first thing is that they get an income, right? So supplemental security income is, a, is an income based on uh, the federal benefit rate, which right now is $750 per month. There are quite often there are supplements that go along with that, depending on what state you're in. So the state of California has a supplement because it's expensive to live in California. New York also has a supplement. Um, and the state supplements vary depending, of course, on your location. Um, but it's, it, that is accompanied by Medicaid. It's automatic, depending on your state. Most states are what we call SSI states or 1364 states. It's another way that we refer to that, where if you apply and qualify for supplemental security income, you automatically get Medicaid benefits. Um, there are a number of states, though, that, that does not... That's not always the case, where they may require separate applications. Um, But in my state, uh, Michigan, and maybe yours too, once you qualify for SSI, you automatically get Medicaid. So that's an important piece. The other thing to remember, and that I often see is missed by parents, is that it's really important to certify that your child is a person with disabilities uh, early on. Why? Because there are benefits if something should happen to you. So if the parent becomes disabled themselves, they retire or pass away, that child is able to make a claim on your wages that you pay into Social Security. It's called Childhood Disabled Beneficiary Benefits. And the thing is, with there's a big difference between those two types of benefits. And we can go in, I know that you're gonna have subsequent uh, discussions about the importance of these particular public benefits, but at, at a very high level, SSI is easy to lose. Um, if they're making a claim or they transition over to making claims on their parents' wage contributions to Social Security, those are called entitlement benefits, and you can't screw those up. The other thing is two years after that happens, so something happens to the parent, they become, again, disabled, retire, or pass away. Two years after they qualify for that benefit, they also get Medicare. So the optimal suite as a parent's age is... You know, your child transitions eventually from SSI to your childhood disabled beneficiary benefit, and then they get Medicare and then Medicaid for other types of benefits. So it's important, as we do planning, too, for estate planning for families, that we know what the transition of benefits are so that we know we can plan for what the child might need in the future, especially for, you know, if parents aren't around anymore. We have to plan for that. We hope for the best Plan for the worst. So those are some of the critical components that we look for as planners to help help families as they go through life. Uh, because the only constant is change, right? So it helps to adapt. But one of the key components that I see people miss early on is one that they don't apply when their child turns age 18. And you can start that application process just before they're age 18. You may need updated medical benefits. You may, or medical exams, determinations. Um, I myself am going through this process with my daughter right now, and it's not easy. It's a little frustrating. It takes time um, and a little patience. And depending on where you live, it may take a couple of years to go through this. Hopefully it doesn't take that long. But the more severely your child is disabled, the quicker that process tends to be. If your child suffers from, say, autism, or something that's a little more borderline, it's really important to make sure that you have their IEPs, that you have medical documentation, and that you keep it up along with the list of medications. And understand that the evaluation process as an adult is whether they can work to support themselves. And so you're gonna need to make sure that you're filing in an appropriate timeframe so that they can take advantage of all the benefits that they're entitled to. It can make a big difference in their financial world as well as the parents in transitioning.
0: So it sounds like when they turn 18, then, because they don't count mom and dad's income and resources to the child, they can then qualify for SSI if they are not considered
1: disabled, correct? Yep, as long as they meet the financial component. So what we have to be careful is UTMA accounts or uniform transfers to minors. Uh, gifts from parents, unplanned inheritances. These are things that we talk about in estate planning meetings with parents when they're doing planning for their child, or for their family in general. Um, And these are important things that are consistently, you know, nobody wants to talk to mom and dad or siblings about you know, how to leave money properly, but it's an important conversation. So we can do all the beautiful planning that we need to with a family, and then grandma and grandpa aren't in the loop, and they you know, with all the best of intentions, they leave money to your child with disabilities and then it it triggers a disruption in their benefits.
0: So it sounds like age 18 is a very big birthday for a lot of people with disabilities. Um, It sounds like um, parents lose their ability to make, their legal ability to make decisions on behalf of their child, although it sounds like practically speaking, a lot of physicians and professionals will still defer to the parent's decision making. I assume. Where that becomes an issue is if the parent's decision contradicts what the doctor or professional wants for that person, child with a disability. Do you see that happening?
1: It it can absolutely. There are some important decisions that are uncomfortable. That happens when children are adults. Um, for instance, uh, do you put your child on birth control if they're daughters? Uh, do you what's their living environment? Do you want them living in a mixed uh, gender? You know, housing situation. Um, who gets to control that? Who makes the decision? What if you don't agree with the, uh, the other parent, your your former spouse or current spouse, about what that's supposed to look like or what the degree of need is? Um, to what extent does your child get to make those decisions? What, how are they are they able to make decisions in their own best interests? Um, you know, not every family is Beaver Cleaver. And uh, we have a lot of blended families that may, may agree on these things and co-parent very well. Other times they don't. And oh. so it's, it's, a, it's an important consideration.
0: Okay, so that obviously is very important. And then the other big thing you, know, you mentioned was the IEP and how that's important because it sounds like without the protection of a parent, sometimes school districts that might be trying to reduce their budget might try to take advantage of that situation? Is that what I'm gleaning from what
1: you said? It can happen. Um, it's just something to be aware of because if you, you think, oh, well, we have our IEP meeting you know, every March and it's now May or June, and you think, oh, huh, you know, because we're busy. And if you don't get that invitation and then you say to your child, did, did you go to a meeting? What, what happened? Or you call the school counselor? Oh, yeah, we had the meeting. And, wait, wait, what? Um, I'm not saying that that's a typical practice, but it's something to watch out for, and it can happen. So to the degree that your child needs assistance, I think that it's it's important as a transition age to lean in to really be step into an advocacy role and be proactive about making sure that you've got the legal and financial, medical, appropriate powers that you need. Um, There's one other thing that we didn't mention, which is when you apply for Social Security for your child, there's something called a representative payee. And there's a special form to fill out so that you can be the advocate for your child so that Social Security will talk to you because that's a separate designation that Social Security will appoint you. Um, It also means that you will be receiving possibly the check and be able to manage and pay their bills, especially if your child cannot do so on their own. So that's an important
0: um, designation. And then it degree. seems like the final thing you mentioned is kind of the big thing that can occur when a, a child with a disability turns 18 is, um, well you talked about qualifying for the public benefit, and as I understand it's about 750 a month. Mm-hmm. Um, does that increase each year or is that just a flat amount?
1: Every December you get a notice. So Social Security, it generally there's a 2% increase uh, cost of living adjustment for inflation, but we've seen over the last 10 years or so, there's been years that they've skipped the increase. So um, it it goes up minimally every year, but you'll get your notice in December typically as to what your benefit allotment will be every January. One of the things that I also see, I just want to mention briefly before we leave, is that at age 18 when you're applying for the benefit and if your child is living in your household, it's really important to charge them rent. And this is something I see missed all the time because if you are supplying shelter and food free of cost to your child, who's now a legal adult, it will reduce the benefit that they receive. So the maximum rate that they start off with is federal benefit rate is $750 per month. But if you check the box that says, no, I don't charge rent to my child, it will automatically reduce what they receive by about a third. So it's an easy, easy thing that's consistently missed. So at age 18, when you apply for that SSI or Supplemental Security Income Benefit, make sure you look for that box, check it, and then actually follow through. Make sure that you are charging your child rent because you are. Um, you can do what you want with that money. So if you charge you know, $300, $400 a, a month of rent, when you might eat it, right? And you're paying for utilities, laundry, their food, um, the cost of supporting them. The other thing is, let's say you're in a fortunate situation where you really don't need that money yourself to support the household. That's a great way to pay for other things. Um, Once it's yours and it's in your bank account, parents, you can use that to pay for a life insurance policy to help support your child in the event something happens to you. You can use it any way you want. But it's something uh, you can even save for them and leave through your estate plan. Um, There's a number of things, but it's really important. um, And that's something, again, I consistently see missed.
0: Okay. Well, thank you, Michelle. It's been a pleasure. Um, It sounds like this is a very critical planning period. And I know you mentioned the special needs planning website. Could you remind us what that website is again?
1: Sure. It is the Academy of Special Needs Planners specialneedsanswers.com. So if you just Google specialneedsanswers.com or www.specialneedsanswers.com, it's a great place to find information um, as well as an attorney. So one of the last points I want to make is when should you go see an attorney? I think you can go see an attorney at any time, but some of the critical timing on this important transition period of age 18 is at least at, say, 17 and a half to start getting things in place so that you're ready to apply the month that your child turns 18
0: okay well thank you again michelle and if you like this broadcast um we'd be happy if you if you could share it with your friends and colleagues and if you'd like to subscribe you can subscribe to the podcast on itunes so thank you